Hello and welcome to the Royal Meteorological Society's podcast. My name is Hannah Manson and I work for the Society as the Science Engagement Manager. We've recently published a new climate briefing paper focusing on tipping points in the climate system and today I'm very happy to say that I am joined by the author Tim Lenton. Tim, please do feel free to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background. Hi Hannah, I'm Tim. I'm a Professor of Climate Change and Earth System Science at the University of Exeter. I got into science thanks to reading Jim Ludlock's books on the Gaia hypothesis, and I've always been studying the Earth as a whole system, but I have to confess I've never had a formal training in meteorology. I read that book as well when I was about 16, so that's really interesting. I'd like to start with probably the most obvious question. What do we mean when we talk about climate tipping points? What are they and how do they occur? A climate tipping point is where a small change makes a big difference to some part of the climate system, to its state or its fate. And that can happen because bits of the climate system have strongly reinforcing feedbacks within them. So these are closed loops of causality where a little change gets fed through the system back to the start and amplifies that initial change strongly enough that you get this self-propelling change. A classic example of a self-reinforcing or what we call mathematically positive feedback from the Arctic would be what we call the melt elevation feedback for the Greenland ice sheet. As you melt the surface of the ice sheet and it shrinks, it's going to lower altitude and going down in altitude, as we all know, tends to warm things up, which accelerates the melt further. Now that feedback, we're fairly confident, can get to the point where the self-reinforcing gets so strong, you have a tipping point and you shrink to a certain size of ice sheet and then it's committed to go pretty much altogether. Do you have comparisons to help people understand tipping points? When I'm with an audience in a room, I, uh, in the good old days of pre-COVID, I, I use a normal chair to illustrate the idea that a system can have two alternative stable states sat upright on the chair or sort of sprawled on your back lying on the ground and if you lean backwards on a chair you can reach a tipping point where a little nudge one way or the other determines whether you're back upright or sprawled back on the floor. Technically what that is describing is the balance point. We picture two valleys with a hilltop in between them and a ball that the stable states, the ball in the bottom of either valley, chair upright or chair on its back, when you're at the balance point, it's ball right at the top of the hill between the valleys. But there's another kind of tipping that we're really interested in, which is when you have something like climate change happening at a global scale, you could be a ball in a valley that's losing stability. So that valley is getting shallower all the time until it's going to disappear, merge with the hilltop next door, if you like. And then the ball will inevitably roll off into the other valley that still exists. I found it really hard to find a, a familiar metaphor for that but that's actually the kind of tipping we're really really interested in okay in terms of the forcing that that pushes the system over the tipping point i assume this can also be caused by natural fluctuations too not just human forcing from adding greenhouse gases to the atmosphere well what we like to do is separate slow forcing which could be human or natural so it could be human buildup of greenhouse gases But there's also historically been changes in the Earth's orbit around the sun. They're very slow, but they change the distribution of radiation across the Earth's surface, and they seem to have played a part in some major tipping points during and at the end of the ice ages. But then there's separating those relatively slow forcing factors from the weather, which is short-term internal variability in the climate. 
And the way to think about that is a short-term process that, like, if we picture a ball rolling around in the bottom of the valley, it's the weather that's nudging the ball around all the time. It's, it's like noise in the system. And sometimes you have an extreme weather event, and that's like giving the ball an unexpectedly large shove just from internal variability. And very occasionally you might be in a situation where that nudge is enough to take you out of a shallow valley over a hilltop and put you into the other state. We talk about that technically as a noise-induced or triggered transition. Your paper also mentions tipping elements. So how do these differ to tipping points? I just came up with my friend John Schellhuber with that term tipping elements because we wanted a name for the parts of the climate system that might exhibit a tipping point. We want a collective term for what are actually a range of things, different ice sheets, uh, monsoon systems, the Amazon rainforest, a bunch of elements, as we thought of them, that may exhibit a tipping point. And so we came up with tipping elements as a nice kind of phrase for that. So we said, look, they need to be at least subcontinental in scale, of order a thousand kilometres in length scale, which is kind of the scale of synoptic weather patterns. And yeah, we then add some additional criteria to describe what we call the subset of policy relevant tipping elements. They're the ones that we think could be tipped by human activities, global warming in particular, this century. So can you give an example of some of the tipping elements then that you have identified that are policy relevant and perhaps some tipping points within those? Sure. So we would broadly divide them into maybe three types of system icy things, parts of the cryosphere in science language, living things, bits of the biosphere, and things to do with the circulation of the atmosphere or the ocean, or the two of them coupled together. So if we start with the cryosphere, the icy stuff, then we have West Antarctic ice sheet. That's a system where the tipping point is to do with the retreat of what's called the grounding line, which is where the ice, the bedrock, uh, and the ocean sort of separate from each other underwater, or the ice separates from the bedrock underwater. And there are parts of that ice sheet where there's a fundamental instability. If the grounding line retreats past that point, you get into a physical situation where the retreat of the glaciers becomes self-propelling. The more they retreat, the faster they retreat. If we switch to the biosphere, well, we identified dieback of the Amazon rainforest, which is kind of coupled to the atmospheric circulation in the region as a key candidate. If we talk about a specific tipping mechanism, in the Amazon, you've got several things going on. You have a large-scale recycling of rainfall by the forest. Typically, the, the wet air is coming in from the ocean. The moist air is heading towards the Andes. The forest is recycling the moisture, so it's raining, it's being re-evaporated, tra- transpired to the atmosphere, it's, it's raining down again, so that by the time you get over to the foothills of the Andes, you've got bits of the forest that depend at least 70% of their rainfall is recycled by other bits of the forest. So you take out those other bits of the forest earlier in the chain and you're really going to risk this self-reinforcing loss of of lots of the forest. And then let's go to the final class, which is the circulation tipping elements. There you've got the potential collapse of what's called very complicatedly the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, which in common language includes what many people have heard of as the Gulf Stream, a warm surface current heading northwards and to eastwards across the North Atlantic, as well as a corresponding cold flow of water at depth in the opposite direction. 
but there's also the possibility that some major monsoon systems, particularly in West Africa and India, could exhibit tipping points. So if we just rewind to the Atlantic Ocean story, and what happens there is surface water gets salty enough and cold enough and therefore dense enough to sink right from the top of the ocean all the way to the bottom, thousand kilometers or so more down and propel this whole circulation. But you can break that circulation if you add too much fresh water to the surface of the North Atlantic. Because if you add fresh water, you make the salty surface waters less dense, basically, and less prone to sinking. And that then interacts with something we call the salt advection feedback, which sounds very technical, but essentially the circulation is maintaining itself by dragging warm water up from the tropics, which then evaporates fresh water to the atmosphere and loses heat to the atmosphere. That both makes it colder and saltier and makes it primes it for this deep convection. Uh, but you, that feedback is strong enough that once you break the deep convection, you can break the whole circulation. What are the models telling us then about how soon we'll pass some or any of these tipping points? And has this changed over time? It has, and it's not, I'm afraid, just what the models are telling us. Unfortunately, it's observational data that are showing us that some tipping elements might already be in the process of tipping or might be very close. So let's talk about that first. In West Antarctica, we see a couple of key glaciers that are showing all the signs of grounding line retreat that's self-reinforcing. And we can't rule out whether that irreversible retreat has begun and then if we add in our models, they suggest that if you destabilise that part of the ice sheet, I'm afraid that that then destabilises other parts eventually, and you might lose the whole of West Antarctica. We also have worrying signs of accelerating uh, change in other tipping elements, like accelerating mass loss or melt of the Greenland ice sheet. Lots of evidence of loss of carbon for the Amazon rainforest, severe droughts there as well as an uptick of people chopping it down or burning it down in terms of models well for any given tipping element you've usually got a few different models giving usually some different ideas about how close the tipping points are but but for greenland we've got good reason to think the tipping point could be very close it could be as low as at one and a half degrees of global warming which we're very close to being committed to already for the Amazon, big debate over how close that tipping point could be. It's both about global warming and the direct deforestation. 20 years ago, the first assessment said oh, it would take four or five degrees of global warming above pre-industrial to risk major climate tipping points. And now even the conservative processes of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, concur with me that we're already at risk of triggering tipping points at just over one degree C of global warming. And definitely we're thoroughly in the danger zone in, in the one and a half to two degrees centigrade range. And once you're above two degrees C, I'm afraid it just gets worse. What are the main challenges? Because there, there must be many when modelling and predicting climate tipping points. Yeah, the fundamental challenge is that there's lots of nonlinear dynamical systems and the climate is a beautifully complex example. It means you have to understand and quantify these feedback processes in a system, these closed loops of causality. It's challenging, but it's tractable. And it's important to also know that you don't have to understand 
the dynamical system perfectly to be able to see evidence that the tipping point is approaching. And we believe, and a few recent studies are backing this up, that we're actually seeing from, directly from observations evidence of key tipping elements, including the Greenland ice sheet, the Amazon and the Atlantic overturning circulation. Many of the impacts will be quite obvious from the tipping points that you've already discussed. But as you've mentioned, the climate system is complex. It's made up of subsystems. So surely there's potential that these tipping points could interact with each other and impacts could then lead on to other impacts from other tipping points. Yes, precisely, Hannah. We begin to get evidence that, of course, the climate system is interconnected. We already see evidence that the Arctic is warming two or three times global average rate because of the sea ice retreat but that amplified warming is of course accelerating the melt of the Greenland ice sheet the thawing of the permafrost across the northern land masses the melt of the Greenland ice sheet is adding fresh water to the North Atlantic next door the Arctic warming means more precipitation in the Arctic also adding fresh water to the North Atlantic both those things are contributing to a 15% weakening of the Atlantic overturning circulation in the last half century. We know from Earth's past climate record that when you weaken that circulation, you do a couple of things. You drag the whole band of rainfall around the tropics southwards, and that disrupts the monsoons all the way around the planet, West Africa, India, so on. But it also weakening the overturning of the Atlantic. Basically, you're transferring less heat by the ocean from the southern hemisphere to the northern hemisphere leaving heat behind in the Southern Ocean, that's a threat to the Antarctic ice sheets. And in that way, we carry a causal chain of interactions all the way from the Arctic down to the Antarctic. That's been extremely interesting. I think to wrap up, it would be great if you could just say your take-home messages of your paper. We're already risking triggering climate tipping points at just over one degree C of global warming. That risk becomes more marked above one and a half degrees C. And really, when we get above two degrees C of global warming, for some tipping points, they become high impact, high likelihood events. The only way we can do that now, because we've left it so late, is to find and trigger some positive tipping points in society, in our uptake of new technologies, relationship with sustainable technologies, in our values, in how we use the land, how we eat, and so on and so forth. So I think it's it's the positive tipping points that we have to look to to rescue us from the worst fate that could befall us if we carry on where we're going. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tim. To those listening, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you would like to read Tim's new briefing paper called Tipping Points in the Climate or find out about others in the series, then please do visit our website, www.armets.org. And also do make sure to follow the society on social media. So Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening. 